0: Welcome to Kolisha, the podcast that gives Orthodox women a voice. Welcome back to Kolisha. So this week in preparation for Shavuos, I wanted to cover a topic um, that I think a lot of women can relate to, especially in the modern era of 2020. Um, where some people wonder what exactly is the women's role in Kabbalah Torah, and on Shavuos itself. Um, many women throughout their lives struggle with the different stages that they go through first as single women, then very often married women, women with children, and then sometimes those children leave the home and um, then they become grandparents. And Throughout that time, many women are given the role of homemaker. Some women are working outside the home too. But very often uh, we're taught, especially in the more right-wing schools, that the main role of the woman is to support your husband when he learns Torah. So when it comes to the Yantif of Shavuos, where does the woman's role fit in when it comes to Kabbalah Satora? So to discuss this topic, I invited Avital Shizik Goldschmidt. She's a writer who lives in New York City. She's the life editor at The Forward, and she was previously a reporter for her Arez. Um Her work has also appeared in The New York Times, Salon, and Tablet Avital teaches journalism at Yeshiva University Stern College for Women, and she also does pastoral work alongside her husband, Rabbi Benjamin Goldschmidt, who is a rabbi on Manhattan's Upper East Side. So welcome, Avital. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: It's so my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: So Avital, can you give our audience a little background about yourself, uh, a little bit about where you grew up? Um, why you became interested in writing, what it's like being married to a rabbi of a large congregation and being in the role of sort of the rabbits in there. What can you share with us about yourself?
1: How much time do you have?
0: <laughs> as much time as you're willing um, to give.
1: Lots of questions. Okay. Um, well, I guess I'll start with the very beginning, as they say in The Sound of Music. Um, I was always a writer uh, from a very young age. I loved writing stories and poetry. Um, I never really thought I would become a journalist until, um, you know, I did stuff in the school newspaper in high school, um, and then I went to Stern, and I was involved in newspapers there, but I didn't really think about it as a career until when I was around 20 years old, I was in my last year at Stern, and I wrote this sort of very fiery essay about the culture of Khomra's. Of stringency in the Orthodox community. Um, this was around the time there were these riots going on in Beit Shemesh with extremists. And I, I basically wrote an essay talking about how there is this pressure to be extreme in religious piety. And I find, and usually it comes down to tzniyas. And I find that antithetical to tzniyas because the whole point of tzniyas is that we should be modest about our piety. And I talk about the original of Snei Kim that this is the you know, our walks with God have to be modest, um, our, our righteousness, our piety. No one needs to know how much you learn every day or what extra you don't eat from. Um, so this was when I was 20 years old. Uh, this was, it was, you know, very much a personal essay. I sent it off to Tablet Magazine and it was published and the piece went viral. Um, it was my first sort of shock being in the limelight saying something really public. It was, for the most part, those who read it were really related to the topic at hand. Um, I obviously got a lot of pushback. Uh, Most of the educators in my life really were were very upset with me. Um, Rabbanim, teachers, uh, like women who are madrihot to me throughout my life uh, told me to take it back, you're never going to get married, Um, but it was... It was kind of my first foray into expressing an opinion publicly, um, which was a really weird thing to do. It was a twenty-year-old, from girl who's, you know, my sights were mostly set at the time on Shidduchim. I was really not planning on being this kind of public opiner. But slowly but surely, I kept writing, and I realized I do have a lot of things to say about various things. I was, about it was I was twenty-one, and I read an article in Haaretz. The Far left secular paper in Israel, um, in which the editor basically talked about how the pushback against his journalism is so violent. And I wrote a letter saying, "Yeah, hello, that's journalism, and I know what that's like because I here I am a from young woman and I face a lot of pushback against what I'm doing." Um, and I sent that off to the editor, and I got an email back from Tel Aviv saying. We're going to publish your letter to the editor do you have time to meet with our new york editor next week and i said okay um so i met with him Alev, and he right away offered me a contributor's position um uh, regularly writing opinion and eventually doing more and more reporting for harris um so i did that for about five years um i traveled a lot i did a lot of cultural reporting i did political reporting i ran after presidential candidates um you know, I did, it was really fun. It was really an amazing adventure. Um, working with an Israeli newspaper is also really, um, <laughs> a roller poster. Um, but just, but exciting. Like there was a lot of energy. Um, this was, you know, I was doing this as a young, again, from girl living in New York, um, living in Brooklyn, uh, dating obviously took a personal toll on my life. Um, I, you know, there are a few young men I, who I was set up with who were kind of out of the box. Um, and, you know, it was scary for them. I remember uh, dating a young journalist. Um, one of them broke up with me because he said, you know, you're too out there. You're too feminist. You're too vocal. And I'm going to be a rabbi and you're a journalist. And it's never going to work out. Um, this was when I was 20 years old when I first started. And I was totally devastated because I really liked him and he told me about last dates and he said, you know, just promise me you'll never, you'll never write about us dating. Cause I did write a little bit about dating at the time. Um, and I said, well, yeah, obviously look, I'm never going to see you again. Um, and then I ended up writing an essay <laughs> and I published that piece in the New York times, um, which was funny at the time. Uh, it turned out two years later that boy came back, um, and asked me out again. uh, And we went out and got married.
0: (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So
1: uh, that's uh, my husband, Um, we have two kids. He is a rabbi, he, uh, at the time he was actually studying in Lakewood when we were dating the first time around. Um, By the time we were dating the second time around, um, he was an assistant rabbi already at Parkey Synagogue on that very side. Uh, um, He grew up in Moscow, he's the son of the chief rabbi of Moscow. Um, so he like a very strong, passionate rabbinic background, um, and you know it was a big discussion for us as we were dating. How are we going to do this? Like two public personalities, um, you know, a writer and a rabbi. What's going to happen when we disagree on things? What's going to happen on women's issues? He's much more conservative on many of them, and I was kind of like, we'll figure it out, and you know, as long as we're looking the same direction we're both so passionate about Jewish peoplehood, we'll figure it out. So that's that's our story. So that was in 2014, we got married. And um, in 2017, I started working as an editor for The Forward. The Forward brought me in um, to really kind of serve as an Orthodox voice. They felt there was a need for more diversity in the newsroom. And uh, I'm very grateful to them for that. And since then, I've been also on my weekends, my night fifth, so I'm a rabbit's head, as they say. Uh, so I do, you know, a considerable amount of work within the community. Not not crazy. We've all shown up two children, so I'm busy as a mom, too. Um, but, you know, I try to be involved, um, especially in women's things in the community, trying to fill the space where I think it's needed.
0: Wow. So it sounds like you have a lot on your plate. So I want to just go back to something that you mentioned, um, when you said you wrote your first article that went viral, um, and that sort of catapulted you into this journalism career, did you ever envision yourself as a journalist? You mentioned you've always wanted to be a writer or have you've always been a writer since you're young, but did you ever envision that you would work, f- uh, writing for newspapers on a pretty big platform or was it just something that sort of happened, you know, because of that initial piece that you wrote?
1: You know, to be honest, I don't think I thought too much about the future in that way. I knew I wanted to write. I didn't really think about how or where or about what. You know, I had this teacher in, um, who was a rabbi who taught calculus um, in high school. And after, I remember at the end of the year, he turned to me, he called me Chizik, because my last name, Chizik, in English looks like Chizik. So he always call me Rabbi Chizik. Robinson Chizik, Robinson Chizik um, you know, I hope you take your writing talents Uh, I think he was being nice to me because I did so poorly in calculus so he felt like he had to like compliment me on my writing. He was like, I hope you take your writing talents to, um, to somewhere, you know, to write about the from community. Like, I hope you, you know, you represent us. He said something of that sort. Um, and I remember laughing and thinking about it afterwards. And it's funny because I remember it now, 10 years later, but it's. You know, I at the time I, I thought it was funny because why would I want to write about my like community like there's nothing to write about like I really didn't I didn't think that's what I would want to be doing I thought you know maybe I'll be you know I'll move to Israel and I'll be a Middle East reporter I'll, you know I'll report on war I'll report on politics um, I don't think I ever thought of that I will be sort of voicing issues in the American Orthodox Jewish community um, I think a lot of it fell on me I think a lot of it. I feel compelled to do, um, especially these days, more and more. Um, you know, I think there are a lot of things that need to be said, whether it's critiques of the community or whether it's defenses of the community. Uh, a lot of those things need to be said and from a place of integrity and from inside. You know, I hope to publish a book. I'm working on a novel as well, um, sent from the community. We'll see if it goes anywhere. But, um, you
0: know, I, I did always think I would write a I always thought about. Wow and then you know your description of uh, working as a journalist you know like you said running after presidential candidates as a from girl that must have been a very unique experience that's very cool.
1: Yeah it was I mean listen at the time I didn't think it was crazy so that was just like what I was doing um, but lately I've been thinking back and thinking like that that was weird.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well it's definitely um, unique. <laughs> look, like,
1: yeah like I didn't look like I would attend all these you know, charity dinners and political events, and I'd be out at the media table, and I, you know, I looked different. Like, I was, you know, people knew I was not the classic sort of Jewish journalist on the beat. Um, but I, I didn't feel terribly self-conscious about it. I just, like, went ahead with it, and I just was very, I feel like, I, I think I was pretty confident. Um, but now, looking back, it's, it's rather
0: funny. Yeah, and probably being young also, you know, gives you a different perspective you know, in, when you're in yeah. it and you're young, you don't really think of it the same way as when you're older. So very, totally. yeah, very cool. So let, let me ask you a sort of a loaded question. So, you know, you mentioned your husband, who's a rabbi, was learning in Lakewood, which is pretty right wing. And yet you have this very, you know, sort of feminist view of from women. Um, and I've noticed that in your writing. So how do you view the role of the modern day Jewish woman? Like so many of us are balancing so many different things. You know, a lot of us are in the public eye. Going to school, myself, we were always taught, you know, the ideal role model for women was that classic Hine Sara Ba Ohel. She's just quietly supporting yeah. her husband. So how do you view the, the role of the Jewish woman today? And how do you balance that with sort of being like in the rabbinet with your husband?
1: Yeah, lots to say on that. I will just add one thing. I, I grew up in a much more modern home. Um, my parents are Russian Valley Tshuva. Um, So, you know, who became from as I was growing up, which was very formative for me. So, um, in a way, I'm, I'm, not really, I'm not really a BT because my parents were becoming from as I was growing up. But I'm not really an FFB either. Like a lot of this, like cultural norms, the language, all of that I had to kind of pick up as a kid. Um, I always joke that like my parents immigrated here before I was born in 1979. Um, and, you know, and then like we went through a second immigration, we immigrated into the room community. Um, and it really is like that, like it's a totally new language and new universe. Um, so I come from a more say kind of classic modern Orthodox community. Um, I went to, you know, breweries during, um. I don't know where to classify that, but I see it as pretty centrist. Um, and, you know, my husband is coming from a much more right wing, He went to Tanovic, and then Lakewood. Um So two very different worlds, <laughs> which is why yes. it also took us a long time to get together. Um, but, you know, and we, we have different views on these things. I mean, I think he has changed. He has, his perspective has changed dramatically. Um, since we've gotten married, um, you know, the women's issues role, Um, because he sees my struggles and my questions and he understands they're real. And, you know, it was funny. He gave a speech last year at our shul sisterhood luncheon. They, for some crazy reason, decided to honor me. And, And my husband gave a speech there and he said, it was the first time he said this to me in front of hundreds of people. And he turned to me and he said, Avital, you made me question, you made me understand, you made me think. And he said to me, have you ever thought what it feels like to sit behind a pizza? He's like, I never even thought about anything, what it might feel like. And you made me wonder, you know. So he's changed a lot. Um, how do I reconcile? First of all, I definitely differentiate between what I believe and my all of my hubris um hashem wants us to be like what the torah is asking from us versus how society um has sort of shaped a certain narrative a certain stereotype a certain expectation as you said sarah bohel um you know Sarah Meno was one of many lauded female you know heroines in Tanakh. Um, and some women you know, want to be sorry I mean, some, people, some women want to continue in that path, but other women can be Devorah. Other women can be Esther Amalka. There's so many different types of roles for women, I believe, in the community. Um, in terms of roles, I, I really am worried about this issue of visibility in the community for women. And, um, you know, usually when I say that, from men fire back at me, oh, you just want attention. No, I don't want attention. Um, I really think it's a problem, because every time I look at a publication, every time I look at an event, every time I look at, you know, things that are being promoted, I only see men. Every time I look at political events, I only see men. Um, and it started to bother me, you know, it's really, it's starting to bother me. And I, and it's, it's wrong, because 50% of our community is not being represented. Um, you know it's it's troubling in terms of our our daughters education i don't want my daughter growing up in a community where only where men are the only ones being seen and heard um and and that's really the challenge facing us to, if you ask me is is this question of visibility of women, from women and by by this i don't mean you know from shades home offers on instagram right or Sineas influencers uh, which I think is actually an interesting step into a lot of pro women gain, gaining followings and plat- building platforms. But I'm talking about people, women talking about ideas, people talking about, women talking about Torah, right? That, that we're not, I don't see enough of, um, and it's it's hard for me. It's hard for me because this is, you know, the community that we identify with. And where I will where I will be sending my children into you know educationally, and I don't want to fight this fight look like, I don't want to have to do this uphill battle, but I feel like I have to
0: so it's interesting that you that you say that about the women's visibility um first of all, I totally agree with you um you know especially in some print magazines and things like that there's very there's there are very few that will feature women and even if they do they will not show their faces which is kind of you know bothersome that a women's magazine won't show um women's faces but one of my goals when i started this podcast was i wanted to have um one version of it on youtube with the faces of the women speaking and almost Mm -hmm. across the board when i contacted women they said Oh, can you not show my face? And I have to put a wig on. I have to wear makeup. I don't oh want my face God. to show. <laughs> so That's I kind so of, trendy. I know. I thought that. <laughs> when you were calling, I was like, oh, I just don't want to have to put on a shave. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that is in fact what happened. So I do, I do just feature, you know, a picture that the woman I interview send me, you know, want a picture uh-huh. of their choice. Um, but most of them did not want to be on camera or on video because they didn't want to have to get dressed up. So here I was thinking I was going to give an opportunity for women to be visible, but most of them did oh, not want yeah. to be visible. But, but, you know, that's just a sidebar. That's funny, but you're a hundred percent right. Like I agree with that too. You know, I find there's, there's a challenge balancing, um, First of all, the ever present sneas issues, and then also you know wanting our our girls to feel empowered. I have uh two daughters, and yeah on the one hand, I want them to learn um you know our Jewish values, but on the other hand, I want them to feel like they they should be empowered as girls too and there's I find that there's not that much opportunity um you know, in from circles to give them both messages at the same time, like the further you move away from center towards left, you do have more women, you know, more visible positions being featured more, but then you lose some of that, you know, modesty and the sort of classic women's roles that go, you know, that sort of fades away when you do find women being featured more prominently. So it's like the balancing issue that I find, um, you know, where the challenge really lies.
1: Yeah, which is why I think it's so important that from women who are tra- who are really trying to maintain that balance, continue to be in the public eye as uncomfortable as it is. Um, I will tell you as a, oh God, as a from female journalist, it is not easy. I get literally like, I get so much hostility for what I do every single day, um, and I think there's a lot of discomfort with it. I think there's discomfort with it from both sides of the stream. From you know the left, people are uncomfortable with a religious woman um, sometimes defending tradition, um, and especially if she does it eloquently. And then you have people on the right who are just hate the idea of a firm woman having an opinion that might dissent from maybe like the party line that we're expected to carry. So. I have a different political opinion which i'm entitled to have it's very uncomfortable for them because oh she looks like my wife she was wearing a shades and she wears the same length skirt and she went and her husband wanted the same yeshiva as, as my as i did there's a lot of discomfort with it um but i think it's extremely important that we do it anyways because we have to normalize it the moment we don't normalize it and the moment we let go um i think this will be more and more normal um, that's, you know, I mean, this is like my two cents, but this is why I sometimes I take public speaking engagements that are really not comfortable for me, you know, in terms of logistics. I don't have time. I don't have space. I'm busy. But I, do, I take them, you know especially going to from girl schools, just because I know the importance um, of, of being able to normalize it. You know, I don't I don't have myself as a role model, but I just want to be able to show that it doesn't have to be this way. Could be some, you know, a firm, proud woman who is educated and intelligent, and is
0: talking. So I think you make so many good points. Um, you know, especially I. First of all, I think you are a role model. You know, I think that your role is very unique, and there aren't a lot of people doing what you're doing. Um, you do manage to strike a very unique balance. You know, you're you're the wife of a rabbi. You portray yourself as that classic. Uh, you know, Sneas woman, but at the same time, you, you have a voice and a face, and uh, you're not allowing your voice to remain silent. Um, and I think that that's very admirable. You know, like you mentioned, it's such a good point that there are many different women role models from the Torah. Some of them were more vocal than others, um, you know, and maybe the reason for that is that there are different women with different personalities, right? Like some might not want yeah. to be vocal, and that's perfectly fine. And some do want to be vocal, and that's Correct. okay too if it's all done within the you know halachic parameters and things like that. So I, I would disagree sure. when, when you say you're not a role model. I think you are because you <laughs> do have a very unique position, you know, that not a lot of other people have.
1: Thanks. I, I might, or it might be a cautionary tale.
0: But- <laughs> <laughs> I guess time will tell. <laughs> Yeah, time will tell. No, but you mentioned that sometimes, you know, people feel uncomfortable with what you're doing. I think, well, yeah, obviously that can sometimes be a negative thing, but... Very often, people who push those boundaries, um, they do make people feel uncomfortable because they make people question, you know, you're always so used to going with the status quo. We're used to magazines not showing faces of women. Now you suddenly have to say, "Well, why not? Well, why can't a woman's magazine right. have the face yeah. of a woman in it?" And people like inertia. you know, people don't like to sit down and ask tough questions. so it's 100%. yeah, i I yeah. think it's important that people and I think- ask.
1: I, that's a great point you're making, because what happens then, like, in terms of the women's magazines, um, you know, it the hard questions that come are not just about one specific policy, but what does that policy tell us, right? Like, what does it tell us about how we view women's bodies? What does it tell us about the way, let's be frank, we talk about sexuality or, you know, objectification? Those are, those are real those are potentially even dangerous values that we are imparting um, to society. So, you know, as long as we erase women's pictures, if you ask me. So, But I think the women's pictures thing is, is, is like a really good litmus test for the way that, you know, homer's norms from far-right communities have become much more mainstream. Um, and also, and also this bigger question, which is actually my next piece, which really talks about freedom of the press, freedom of discourse, and the firm community is unfortunately really lacking. And and I think the women's pictures thing is not as big as the women's voices question. Where are the women commenting on politics? Where are the women commenting on current events or on, you know, major religious questions? But those, are, those are still missing as well. Um, and that... That that to me, those to me
0: are the real questions underlying this. Yeah, and you you know you just led me right into my next topic, my next question that I wanted to ask you about. Um, You know, I I've noticed that most publications that are geared towards women, and most publications that have women's voices or you know female experts commenting, they're they're not like you said about those hot topic political issues and you know things like that. Like I I cannot remember where I read this. um, but I remember after the CM Hashas, um, I saw yeah. an article that uh, the title was something to the effect of, you know, there was X amount of women at the CM Hashas, and they gave us a cookbook. Um, there was, there was apparently a beautiful magazine that was given out to the women, beautifully done, very nicely put together, but essentially it was, you know, geared towards the women. So they put in like recipes and made it more into a cookbook. And the the point of this article, what the woman who was writing it was saying, you know, like we were at the CMHs to celebrate Torah. Like, could you not have given us some sort of intellectual reading material? Like all we do is not just cook, you know? Um, so I think yeah, what you're, what you're bringing up is, is so true. Like, why is it that all that seems to be focused on women is, you know, the, the issues of, of cooking and homemaking and cleaning and, which is important. You know, of course we do all of that, but does it somehow undervalue our intellect and our role as something more, uh, in in our communities? Yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, I think it's, you know, we do all that, but it is, I think it's, like, infantilizing um, for many women. I think, I mean, first of all, I mean, pandemic aside, in normal days, <laughs> I am very frank. Like, I, my husband and I have made a very conscious decision to outsource as much of the housework and as much, you know, and even some of the cooking. Like, I, there's no way that I'm going to be able to do it all, right? To, to give a share, to, to submit an article on Deadline about a very hot topic, to be a mother, to be a present mother, and also to program in y'all. It's not going to happen. Um, and I think, and I, I know I'm not the only one. I know many women do this. And there are so many from women who have very vibrant, uh, demanding careers of which they're very proud. But for some reason, we're just, like, always brought back to that role of homemaker. Listen, I'm, I'm a subscriber to all these magazines. And I, you know very much enjoy the food sections, and I <laughs> take, you know, I, I, you know, tag the ones I really like, and I save them, and I make them. But, you know, absolutely, it is, it is, um, it does become insulting to one's intelligence um, at a certain point. And, I mean, it, I had so much to say about this topic, but um, I have thing that was handed out of the CMHS. Um, There were things that were not recipes. There were definitely, you know, some articles about, um, you know, basically being a supportive wife and encouraging your husband's um, learning. But, of course, that, you know, and I, and I actually wrote about this um, in an essay that I, in a reported essay I did back in December, which was, or maybe it was January, it was, it was after the stamp, so it must have been January, um, which is, you know, it is offensive, because, you know, what about our learning? What about the value of our learning? And I don't mean necessarily Gemara. I mean, I, for one, do not have the skills of Gemara learning. I did not get that. Um, I I now feel illiterate to an extent, um, and I feel really bad about that. I hope, emir tzashem, that I will be able to give it to my daughter. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. In January, I, I published this piece about um, the Haredi women in Yerushalayim learning Gemara. Um, there's, like, this sort of... I wouldn't say secret anymore because I published a story about it. But there's this sort of quiet group of women who are getting together um, with a few different rabbis um, and teachers who are who are basically teaching them basic Gemara skills, um, but at a very high level. And I sat in on this class. This was I went in December. I was in Yerushalayim, and I went for one evening to listen to this class to sit in and see the chabrusas between these women. I was so amazed by what I saw. I could not believe it. You have these brilliant, obviously brilliant, young, from vivacious women, not old young, by the way, actually. There are a few older women as well, who are just so excited to learn Torah on a high level. And it makes sense, because these are women who, in their day jobs, are lawyers, are architects, are doctors, right? We have already in our community, we have made it, especially in Israel, by the way, women are able to achieve high professional success, right? They're able to go to good schools and great and pursue great careers. But then when it comes to Yiddishkeit they sort of like told to take a backseat. Like, oh, you can go to Tehillim group or you can listen to like an Ornavashir or someone's gonna tell you, you know, about the power of tefillah That doesn't work for all women. There are a lot of women who want something more. And maybe they want something more than even the Prashadna Shibula that they've been learning their whole lives. So this sitting in on this chair was fascinating for me, um, and it opened my eyes to what I think is like a bigger, interesting trend in Israel and the Haredi community, where you have a lot more um, diversity and opportunities for just being different. Ironically, I think people have this attitude towards Israeli Haredi community, like it's so in the box, black and white. But I I see a different reality there. I see a lot of opportunities for creativity, for intellectual growth, for discussion. You know, there is much more freedom of the press in Israel and the Haredi community there with, you know, outlets like Ikara Shabbat, which actually report the news and not fluff pieces. That doesn't exist here. Um, so in a way, I find they're much more progressive. And I I wish we had more of that here.
0: It's interesting that you mentioned about the women um, learning Gemara because I was so surprised. A friend of mine went to the Siam Hashas here, and uh, she said, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm representing my mom because my mom just finished Shas. Like, she did wow. Dafiomi and she just finished, and, oh, you know, cool. she's making a Siam. Her mom happens to live in, like, a more of a modern Orthodox community, and I said, oh, do they have, like, a women's Gemara share there? And she said, no, they don't have, like, men's and women's Gemara share. Like, it's a shir. Anyone can come learn Torah. Like, she goes to a shul... Right. Every morning, there are men there, there are women there. I don't know if there's a mechitza. I didn't get into the details. But she said, the idea is that we're teaching Torah. Anyone can come learn. It doesn't have to be like, you know, specific That's to nice. men or women. Yeah. And I had never heard of a woman making a Siam Shas before. I was so blown away. Um, but why yeah. not? She, okay. she's an older woman. Her kids are out of the house. You know, she has time and she was so dedicated. She had a, you know, a period in the middle where she had to be hospitalized for whatever reason. She made sure to make up like right. every single daf. Like she was so devoted, you know?
1: Yeah. It's incredible. I really look at these women like heroines and it was hard because standing up, when I went to the sandwich house with my husband, it was really like. There was I wrote about this in this essay it was it was really weird for me because there's so much joy and there's so much excitement and it's infectious. but at the same time when I was in the women's section, I was i I don't know I felt disconnected like i didn't it it felt like you know I was much more of a spectator than a real participant. Um, and it doesn't have to be that way that's that's what bothered me. It doesn't have to be that way. like we really could be structuring our community in a different way now i don't necessarily expect that to happen anytime soon from the cmss committee or the are um but i think you know change has to come from the ground up that's one thing i've learned um and i strongly believe in after some years observing community norms and writing about them uh, i think there's like a lot of talk about like oh change has to come from within and, like, slowly but surely, people, you know, in decision-making positions will eventually, you know, progress to a better place. But I really think that's not, that like, that train has left the station. Um, I really think that change is going to have to come from, you know, regular community members, citizens who say, I want something different. Like, yeah, I want my Vita girl to learn Kimura. Deal with it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, I don't think that the people in positions of power are going to be making those changes on their own, you know? some Like, they have Correct. to see the the wave start before they would, exactly. you know, you can get them to buy in. That's
1: how Sarah Schneer started, right? She she went and did it on her own. She created the It's, you know, afterwards she got the brachas and the skamos, but in the beginning it was, she just went and did it.
0: And from what I've heard, she was, you know, there was not... A lot of buy-in early on, and there were people that no. didn't agree with what she was doing. Yeah. So here's another, uh, here's another um, disturbing story. So this has sort of like stuck with me since high school, and I remember, I guess, it must have been around Simchas Torah time or something. One of our high school teachers was telling us that when she was in shul one year on Simchas Torah. Um, one of the women suggested that why are we all just sitting here watching the men dance? Like, why can't we dance too? Yeah. Let's put up a mechitza um, and let's dance. And we can also celebrate the Torah. And she repeated this, to, this story to us um, and said, you know, this woman, she, she probably had good intentions. She wanted to celebrate the Torah, but that's not our role. Our role is to support our husbands um, and so, if you've done that correctly, then your nachas is your husbands and your sons who right. are dancing because they have learned all the Torah. Why do you need to dance too? And it was almost like, why would you even, like, why would it even occur to you to want to do that? That's not your role. Like, your, your heart's not in the right place if you think that you yeah. should also be dancing on Simchas Torah. Oh my gosh. Um,
1: sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I disagree. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, I think that we deserve full experiences, lived experience of Judaism in the way that we want to live it. Um, Again, within halacha, these are are all, none of these are questions of halacha. That's the fascinating thing. The debates often in the Orthodox community, the vast majority of them are purely social, not halachic. Very few people are talking about, you know, women leading services or women putting on tilling that is not on our that's not what you know on our radar that's not i don't think that's what most women who grew up in this community are interested in or want that's you know i think there there may be some women who struggle with it but i don't think that's majority i think the vast majority are just looking for spaces and in which they can really experience judaism in a way that their husbands do. And the interesting thing is, I'm thinking a lot about this now, the situation. Um, you know, for our men who go to Minyan three times a day, this is a really shattering experience. They've lost all whole sense of structure, right? They're so used to that. Um, and it's so, you know, when my husband was closing the shul, it was so painful for him. And to be honest, for me, even me, the Reviton, it wasn't painful for me because my Judaism doesn't, really depends on shul, right, like, I, my Judaism is in my living room, right, where I dive in, and it's, it's just a totally different experience, Um, but I, but it's sad for me also, because I should have been sadder, I should have been sadder when the shul was closing, and I should be more in shul, and I should be more feeling a part of it, but, you know, there are certain barriers that don't make me feel part of shul. Um, like you said, like with simple sorority and saying, when you're just a spectator and not a participant, it's really difficult. Um, and again, this is not a question of halacha. This is a question of just like being creative and, and being sometimes a little bit brave about doing something that might not be socially like what everyone does and being okay with it. I remember growing up, the women who were so in I went to like a regular matter of in New Jersey, lovely, lovely community. And the women who are so passionate and mocked about, let's say, dancing of some pastora, like, when I was looking at them, I thought they were they must be look like, a little bit weird, like they're the weird feminists in the shul, you know? And now I, I've grown up, and I look at them, and I think of them as brave, because that wasn't necessarily, like, what was cool to do, you know, in the shul. But we we have to change what's normal, because otherwise, what are we going to do? We're going to come out with young women who are... Maybe primed, you know, to be excellent material, but like don't don't really care much about Judaism, don't really care much about Torah, are more obsessed with their Gucci bags and whatever loafers or whatever is in at that moment, and renovating their kitchens. That that's not okay. We can't we can't let that happen to our community.
0: Sorry, I went on this tangent. No, that's totally fine. <laughs> so it sounds like you're, you know, from your perspective, you feel like if if women are not given, you know, the the permission sort of to really explore Torah, then you feel they're going to fall short in their yiddishkeit. Is that fair to say? Is that what yeah. you're, yeah. what you're getting at? I
1: mean, this is yeah, Sarah Schneer wrote beautifully, beautifully about this, and reading her diary from a century ago, it felt so contemporary. Where she writes about. How on I think it was Yamam to run. She watches the men go to school and her brothers go to shul. and there's like this lofty spirit in the air, and they're all so excited. But the women, the women are you know are are worried about their dresses, and and that's really what sparked her. And she and she was a seamstress, right? So she was she was really talking to the women and getting to know them on what they were talking about. And she was you know she was basically horrified by um. But the mundaneness of the conversations, um, and and I think that's true today. Even though we our girls' education has improved immensely, you can't even compare what girls' education then was to versus now. Um, but we need to we need to continue to evolve because if we don't evolve, our girls will, our women will, yeah, will not care much about Judaism. Um, you know, when it comes, you know, again with Torah learning, like. It, it's not really. It's not necessarily about gemara. For some people, gemara just doesn't do it. For some men, gemara is not is not their thing. So it doesn't. It could be nach. It could be you know. It could be a muster safer. It doesn't matter. It's just it's learning, or it could be. I mean, I would take it a step further. If it means just reading like a smart book about Jewish history, um, about Jewish thought, that 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 is important. We need we need to continue that culture of of Jewish education for women beyond schooling. Um, and I think the men have that sort of natural structure because they have, you know, their requirements, because they go to Minyan, because there's also like an expectation of night seder or dachiyomi classes or whatever. And we don't really have that as much. And it's understandable because we're also, you know, taking care of the house and the kids. But um, one of the interesting things that this rabbi um, of this Gemara in your line said me in his interview is that we have to change the way we look at things like we you know husbands have to start telling their wives okay Wednesday night is your night to go out for a cheer just like the women say to the men like we have to find space for women to be able to do that
0: it's such an interesting perspective because you know I and the fact that you you know you're you're feeding off of what Sarah Janir did it's it really is just sort of like eye-opening to me right now because um I think that people who promote this feminist from agenda or like women should have the opportunity to learn more Torah or whatever very often they're looked at as oh you're you're way too out there next thing you know right. you know women are going to be going off the derech and then they're going to be want to be women yeah. of the wall and and you know having Minion together with men and and like you said leading the services and all that stuff but I I think that you know you're promoting of women to learn more Torah is exactly the opposite because what you're saying is that yeah. it's going to help them connect to their Yiddishkeit more, and I think we're seeing that because, like, just you know, being on social media platforms like Instagram and stuff, I see that now that you've just said that what Sarah Shanir was seeing about how the women were behaving in such a mundane way, all about their fashion, yeah. all about you know, decorating and. And there is no Torah going on. It's all like all the popular influencers are all about the the yeah. like the Gashmias, you know. And there's there's very yeah. little Torah being promoted on those platforms.
1: Yeah, I, and it's I think it's extremely problematic. And it we're we're seeing two extremes. We're seeing, you know, kind of like the community endorsed um, publications and media has no women. You know, visible, um, and then and you have women writing to the retail room, but we're not talking about very high level stuff. Um, that is to say, no man um, with any yeshiva background would read that type of an article and find it enlightening.
0: And not only that, but they're, mm-hmm. usually, they're usually connected to the everyday mundane things like washing dishes. I don't know if you've yes. noticed that. Like but.
1: finding, yes. Oh my gosh, yes. There's like finding inspiration
0: and the city of dash mat. Right. Uh, you know, you're like recalling Kohen you're taking care of it. Right. Listen, for some women it
1: works, so I don't want to knock it. But for many women it's, it doesn't. And I think, you know, there was an interesting survey done um, by Nishma. It's like a small... Um, polling, like research group. Um, I mean, it seems like it was a small sampling. Like they had a few thousand, over three thousand people responded to the survey, but still interesting. Um, they found that the number one reason that people left orthodoxy of the respondents were was um, women's issues, meaning among women. Um, so I, I think exactly the opposite. I think those who learn, um, you know, are become stronger in the Judaism. Um, if you're afraid that a woman will become too smart and leave, then you really, then there's like a very big problem with the way you see your Judaism. <laughs> um, you know, I, we, I, we really need it. And I say this by the way, as I'm like in no way a scholar, a Torah scholar, I am not a high level cheer giver. Like I, I try, but I'm not. Um, but I just, I see, I say this as a writer, I just look at the way the community is going and there's a huge lacking, like the fact that we, this is not, you know, even like socially, where was I I talking with a friend and, you know, a friend with similar, you know, within this kind of similar, whatever, modern yeshivish group. Um, and she was telling me how like her friends like they get together for board games or like girls nights or whatever, but, like, what she wants offered, why don't we learn something? Why don't we have a shear? They looked at her in horror, you know? Um, and, I, and, you know, maybe that happens among men, too. But I, I don't think it's normal um, in our community to to really look at Torah learning in that way. And it's very sad because uh, you're right. Like, the goshmias, to my mind, has really taken over. Um, and now I'm, I feel like I'm sounding like a very bitter college teacher.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know what? I think yeah. it's it's like counterintuitive. If that's all you give women to focus on right? If you say yeah, all you exactly. should focus on is your home and all you should focus on is how you dress and it has to be us, of course, but still all you're focusing on is your clothing and all you should focus on yeah. is how you take care of your kids. And then of course you're going to want your kids to always look so beautiful and presentable and always wear these beautiful outfits and everything. And if that's all you're given to focus on, um, then you're going to wind up wanting to do that really, really well. And what's going to happen is you're going to wind up just focusing a lot on, on the gosh, but if, you know, if you're told to focus on Toro too, then that gives you another like sort of outlet, you know, but in a different, in, yeah. in a more meaningful way.
1: Yes. And it, it's a hundred percent. Like it's, um, uh, honestly, I think a lot of it is, is innocent. Like, I think you're right. Like for many women, this is just the way they express themselves creatively, um, And, and by the way, I'm someone who I'm, you know, just like any other girl, I like to dress up and I like, you know, to buy nice things or whatever, but it's not part of my identity, you know? Um, yeah, I I think it's, it's basically where our kind of realm of influence has become so limited and, um, and it worries me, it worries me because we, we need women's voices and positions of influence and it comes, I'll tell you, I'll give you a very good example. Um, I mean, this is like, you know, really touchy, literally these days, but, you know, the issue of mikvah rain now during the pandemic, um, you know, it's, we need women's voices on these things. Like there were so many women who were really scared to go and were not really trusting local rabbin and their assurances that their mikvahs were following all the safety protocol. Um, and, and some of them were, but the fact that these women were not trusting them means that something, to my mind, is broken. It means that they don't feel like they have a representative on the inside. I had two different women call me. This was crazy. I had two different women call me, like yeshivish girls, not like married to guys who have gone to right wing yeshivas, do not live in Manhattan, where, you know, where our community is. So they're not, not my congregants. Two different women called me saying, I follow you, I follow your work, and I wanted to talk to you about mikvah, and I was like, okay, <laughs> and they told me, you know, they are afraid to go, and they don't trust their Rebetzin and rabbi that, they're, that they take science seriously. Um, this was like at the beginning, of, as things were starting to happen, and it just, it made me so sad. I was so sad about that. Like, I feel so bad for them that they couldn't trust their own leadership. Um, and, and a lot of it, again, is because, you know, there aren't necessarily informed women in positions of power. And it can come down to really, like, you know, questions of piquach nefesh. I'll tell you, another example of this that I saw that was really stark was um, in a sexual abuse case that I was kind of involved in. Um, I was... You know, basically working with women um, victims of unfortunately terrible story in the foreign community, and uh, these women came before basement, and I was asked to say sit in on the conversation to help them to sort of like tr- translate to serve as an advocate as a voice for them with a rebut and I, I felt comfortable with everyone involved, so I sit there and there's a woman who was saying how. This this abuser describing uncomfortable, inappropriate things that he was doing to her. You know, he, like, put his hands under her shirt in a summer camp. And this woman was describing, was describing it happening to someone else. She was not, herself was not the victim. But she said she knows a woman who was felt up by this person. And one of the women responded, saying, okay, so what's the big deal? Oh, no. And this woman was like, this girl is has suicidal tendencies right now and the rabbi was like a girl a woman can become suicidal from that Oh God. and i'm like well when you spend your whole life teaching this girl about sneas and then a rabbi whom she respected breaks it and violates it yeah <laughs> yeah that's what happened that's the female i mean that's part of the female mind not I'm only personally.
0: in not
1: only yeah, in our sheltered honestly.
0: community that can happen to anyone in any community <laughs>
1: Anyone in any community, exactly. So, like, sorry to be so big here because I just have to keep a lot of things private, but but it was it was a really telling moment. There was another woman I, I'll never forget. She sat in front of my base den, and she said, she was describing this person, and she said, the the abuser, and she said, you know, like, when he comes close, like, you just, like, have a lot of, like, red flags. Like, you just feel the guy's creepy, you know? You know? And the rabbis were like, no, we don't know. No good. And I'm like... <laughs> Right, and I'm like, let me explain. <laughs> Most women have a sort of, like, system. You know, their antennas go up the moment that someone invades their private space. Um, like, you know, obviously you can't speak for all the women or whatever, but, but the point is that there were a lot of translation issues, and these were women whom I deeply respect, who were there for the right reasons, who were wonderful people, who just did not understand. They could not understand. And this happens again and again, and you can imagine this happens with gunos. Like, this happens in many situations. Um, and again, these are these are extreme cases, but again, this is the Kuoch Nefesh we're talking about, right? So it's it's something I struggle with because you know, when we when we from women kind of take a step back into the Gashmias or or even into like, you know, the Taking very small controlled roles, maybe like a teacher somewhere in a school, but not stepping up to the platform and, and speaking up and talking to people in influential positions, um, you know, we're not heard. And and it hurts all of us. It hurts all of us. Like there it's like a domino effect.
0: Well, yes, I think you make a lot of really, really good points. I think, you know, I mean, going back to to the whole gosh, me those things and and what we're given to focus on, it's even like, you know, with the cookbooks and the recipes and all these things, like I don't, I've noticed over, I don't know what the last 10 years or so, there's been like this explosion of just, you know, um, these higher expectations when it comes to our cooking, when it comes to our dress and all these things. And I think we're trying to fill a vacuum because we as women, we want to do things really well, you know, and we're also taught that in our basic education, like, do everything to, you know, to the nth degree. You want to be the best homemaker. You want to be the best supporter of your husband. You want to be, you know, the best representative of from lifestyle and everything. And so we're aspiring maybe to the wrong things because we're trying to to really do our best. So with all that said, you know, I know a lot of women struggle when it comes to Yom Tovim, like Purim, Simchas Torah, Shavuos, like where the focus is really so much on the men. Um... And women feel like, you know, what's my role here? I can cook, I can clean, I can support my husband, but is there something more? So what do you feel like, how can women connect more to these, to these holidays and especially to Shvu is coming up now? I mean, you alluded to it a bunch, so I think I know where you're going to go.
1: Yeah. Well, it's, listen, it's hard. I feel like I, I, before getting married and before having children, I had a, like a much harsher view in these things. Like, yeah, women should be learning all night. Um, and then, you know, my reality very quickly changed. Baruch Hashem, I'm grateful for it. It's a great blessing, and this is something I daven for. But it's hard. I was—I literally was thinking about it today. I was just sitting and writing, and I was thinking about how it was painful for me because Shabbos night when I was single was this like uh, intoxicating experience, like sitting in the base madrash at 3 a.m. and the show I grew up in, they would just, like, they just put a pizza down the, you know, the base madrash. There was a men's side and a women's side and you could learn, you know? And I would sit with my girlfriends and we would learn whatever we wanted and it was a discussion and it was so much, it was fun, you know? Getting that instant coffee at 2 a.m. or the stale danishes. Um, and, and you make it to chakras at 5 a.m. and you're just, like, dizzy from, but elated, you know you're just like high on spirituality on intellectual connection but also emotional connection to Hashem and and you're excited to dive in um and then you're excited to go home and sleep obviously but you know you're you're you it's such an amazing experience and I was thinking about it today like it's I really miss it I you know now it's just not a reality um you know we don't like I just I'm not gonna get an overnight babysitter and, um, you know, our school not really also don't have the type of learning program like other schools do. So, like the one I grew up in. Um, so, I probably have to go to another school, which is probably complicated because so I'm, I'm a resident here. Um, but, and I miss it. I really miss it. And um, so, it's hard for me to say, though, that every woman should be up all night learning or even late learning because it is really difficult because if the food is on you and the kids are on you, most likely 9 PM you're, you're like crashed. Right. Oh yes. Um, yeah. So I think it's like really hard to be demanding. Oh, also on top of everything, you must be a tell me when, you know, especially at a time of like high pressure, right? Like when you, you have all these meals you just cooked and, you know, entertaining the kids and getting everyone dressed and getting yourself dressed and all that—it's—it's it's a lot of energy. Right. Um, having said that, um, obviously, you know, it doesn't have to be Shavuos night. It could be any time over Shavuos that one could take time to learn. Um, one thing I'm planning on doing is Raz Hashem. It is like preparing for myself some readings in advance, so it's not like oh, I'm just going to stand in front of this farrah shelf and just like choose something I want to read. I'm trying to be kind of very conscious and deliberate in advance and think about what I want to learn beforehand. Um, I will probably print out some source sheets from, like, Wai Torah in advance. I will also probably print out some, like, kind of academic articles on Jewish thought for Jewish history, um, which I find really interesting and also inspiring. And the Rambam says that studying Jewish history is like studying Torah, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so those are those are things that I, I plan to do personally. Am I going to be staying up all night learning? Probably not, because I'm going to be exhausted, but I'll probably stay up later. And I know my husband will, so maybe we'll sit and do it together. Um, you know, I think this year, by the way, is going to be like a really interesting experience because people everyone is home so like maybe this is I don't know maybe this is an opportunity for us to start doing more learnings learning with our partners um you know I my husband and I always talk about oh, have to do a hobby, so we really have to learn together but our schedules never align and we're just always so busy and then so tired um but maybe this is the moment to start doing that um and you know and I think it's I think people could be would be surprised by the different perspectives that each spouse brings to a piece of text. Um, you know, men, in my experience, like they read things so differently from women, especially because we're educated so differently than Limude De Kodesh, but it could be a really beautiful dialogue. Um, so that's one thing. Um, the other thing is, this is going to sound a little bit crazy, but, you know, I I would... One of the things that I love doing in Shavuos, uh, even though it's not it's not Torah Mamash in any way, but I do spend time. I make sure that whatever literature I'm reading, it's Jewish. So like, even if it's like fiction, I pick up some good classic like Jewish fiction, like you know, Chaim um, Grade, Shalom Aleichem, like some like good old Yiddish stuff in translation, um, because I find it very inspiring to read about um Jewish communities of the past and the way that Yantif was celebrated then. I mean this is like a really like nerdy thing that I like to do, but um it always kind of infuses my Yantif with this sort of timelessness. Um and I plan to do that as well this year.
0: Those are such great ideas. I think you're right about the the opportunity we have this year. Like you know, some I'm sure some women have older sons that will be learning with their husbands, but um, I I don't, and I didn't think about the possibility that I could, you know, sort of be his chavrusa for a little while because he's probably not going to be able to go to shul. You know, staying up the whole night learning by yourself yeah. is very very difficult. So that's a really interesting opportunity for this year for women. Um, and then, like you said, just finding ways to connect. You know. Um, through different Torah sources. And I did not know that learning Jewish history is like learning Torah. That's very, very good to know, because I love history. Um, But you have some really, really great suggestions.
1: I I hope I mean, I really think it's, um, it's, we need to be creative in terms of what works for us. And, you know, not one source sheet will work for one person, it won't work for another person. And for other people, the whole structure and the whole idea of studying from a source sheet doesn't work, right? We have to think about like deeply about what works for us what and really what inspires us, what makes us feel connected. For some women, it's gonna be just staying to him all night, you know, and they should go do that. You know, we, we have to think about what works for you. Um, and, uh, and again, I think this year is like an interesting opportunity because we're not locked into any sort of programs. Like we really have to design it for ourselves which is a bigger thing right now in terms of spirituality like we're all trying to stay connected spiritually on our own Um, and it is a challenge but at the same time i think a great opportunity to to really like work through questions of Imuna, to really work through learning you know the, the things that we kind of relegate to um you know, the performance of shul or, you know, like the structural sorts of things that we expect that we kind of outsource, um, now we have to do it from a very, you know, in a very internal way. So I, I think it's it's an exercise, and I think it's really good. And we all, you know, have to learn how to be in his and, bods um, and I think shavuos is, is a good example of it.
0: Interesting point. I think it's you know, it's a little bit of a harder work, but it might wind up being more satisfying because you get to customize it.
1: Yes. Yes, exactly. And you know, and maybe and maybe set new patterns for ourselves, right? Like figure out, oh, I, I know I really enjoy learning this specific safer or this specific style and maybe let's you know, try to continue it. Maybe near tercoellos is what's gonna speak to you. I was recently learning it and I was I couldn't believe The depth and wisdom in there that I definitely did not understand when I first when I last learned it many years ago you know as you as you grow and you age and you become hopefully wiser different the texts speak more and more to you I find
0: absolutely and in different ways you know you have a different perspective
1: yes yes exactly
0: wow Avital thank you so so much you've really given Me And I'm sure our listeners so much to think about. And you know, I really um, find your perspective so refreshing. And I think it's, you know, just going back to this point, the idea of uh, building up our women, um, you know, maybe Jewish feminism—I don't know if that's the best term because sometimes feminism has a little bit of a negative connotation with like very outspoken, loudmouth kind of people. But you know, building up our women um, in a way that promotes Torah, I think, is such a unique and refreshing perspective. So I really want to thank you for bringing that in um, to our conversation. And thank you so much for sharing your, you know, your time and your wisdom. I think you know your perspective is so good and you know so well put. Um, and you know your your story up till this point is really really interesting. You're young; it's not like your your life story like you're an old First lady. But 28 years. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it is really unique and interesting. And I appreciate your perspective. And I really appreciate your time. So I just really want to thank you for being here and wish you a chag sameach. My pleasure. You too, chag sameach, and uh, this was fun. Same. <laughs> thank you so much.